Hello, and welcome to the Tuesday, August 14, 2023 episode of the Musical Universe of Professor Hurst. This is Craig W. Hurst, Emeritus Professor of Music, podcasting from my music bunker, along with my faithful canine companion, Carmel the Wonder Dog, to share with you my latest musical interests and discoveries. I claim no special inside information about the latest or greatest music, nor do I know everything there is to know about music. What I am is a lover of music. I enjoy several genres of music, and I share with you what has currently caught my interest, old, new, outdated, and everything in between. Even old music is brand new if you have never heard it before. The universe of music is a vast one to enjoy. From my discussions, you might find something new to you and of interest to expand your own musical universe. I currently receive no compensation or motivation of any kind from any recording label, recording artist, or the estate of any performer or composer dead and gone to discuss their music and or recordings. Now with that out of the way, welcome to my musical universe. My guest today is Rachel Eckroth. What do you call one person who is a pianist, vocalist, keyboardist, composer, producer, arranger, band leader, sideman, and more. Music may not have a term, but it does have a name, Rachel Eckroth. Eckroth can lead with a bold vision or a company with the subtle skills necessary to make another musician shine. Her combination of jazz experimentation and pop feeling form the engine behind her own work as a co-leader or leader on 20-plus albums, including her Grammy-nominated The Garden and her most recently released solo album, One. That same crossover talent is why she's featured on voice and keyboards in the bands of Rufus Wainwright, St. Vincent, K.T. Tunstall, and Chris Body. Eckroth can hold an audience's attention in an intimate jazz club or on a massive concert stage. She did the latter when she opened for Rufus Wainwright's All These Poses Anniversary Tour, standing on stage alone with just her keyboard and her voice, weaving a sonic landscape that kept audiences enthralled. Eckroth is no stranger to television, either, having been a member of the house band on the Meredith Vieira Show and appearing on Saturday Night Live, The Tonight Show, Late Night with Seth Meyers, and Good Morning America with various artists. Eckroth has been a busy recording artist throughout her career, and the pace has only increased in recent years. In 2020, Eckroth appeared on the single Circling by Donnie McCaslin, the acclaimed saxophonist from David Bowie's final band. That same year, she released three singles of her own. She and her husband, bassist Tim Lefebvre of David Bowie and the Tedeschi Trucks Band, put out a duet album called The Blackbird Sessions, Volume 1. She also released the single, Moot Points, featuring Alassane, as well as an EP featuring four of her own songs. Polymath, Renaissance Woman, Jack of All Trades. Use whatever term you're comfortable with or no special word at all. What matters is the music, and Rachel Eckroth's musical world is inviting exciting, and filled with surprises. Stay a while in the garden, and then check out everything else 
this visionary has to offer. It is my pleasure to welcome to my musical universe, Rachel Eckroth. Hello, Rachel. Hi. It's really great to uh, have you as a guest on my show today and uh, really great to talk with you. I've been very curious to learn more about you uh, now that I've listened to uh, your uh, some of your music and I'm anxious for my audience to learn more about you as well. Um, one of the questions I always ask all of my guests because I'm, I'm curious is their, their origin story, so to speak. And so tell us, please, what turned the light on for you? Who or what turned you on to music? Yeah, so my, my family is, um, well, there's a bunch of musicians. Can you hear me pretty good? Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, family is a bunch of musicians and also music educators. So when I was pretty young, my dad was a band director. And he was also my first piano teacher. So I was just kind of around music all the time. And it almost was a thing where I just knew I was supposed to be doing it. So mm -hmm. I, guess, I guess I could say my dad and, um, you know, just I heard a lot of music growing up. So. Mm hmm. Well, and then uh, and then what uh, kind of brought you to jazz uh, as a style of music to uh, to play? So when I was about. Um, 14 or 15, I joined a jazz band at school, and a couple summers I went to jazz camp where I learned about harmony and arranging and improvisation and all these kind of things that, that uh, piano lessons and classical music didn't have, so it was sort of um, kind of, it, it was awesome to be able to create my own music in that way, mm -hmm. those tools, so I think that was it, that was was jazz camp and, and just learning new stuff and well you know getting some some exposure to people who uh who are more experienced and can kind of show you what can be done and and uh what the artistic possibilities are with the music can be a real uh exciting turn on uh you know i i think one of the things i've always been intrigued by with jazz is uh are the harmonies uh and uh you know, because they're so coloristic and, and, uh, I suppose that's also what I, what uh, attracts me to classical music. But then the other, of course, is, uh, that, uh, jazz has that classical doesn't always have is that, that great groove and, and swing. Uh, so those are things that, uh, I, I, I think it could be very attractive to, to, uh, to the music. Um, you know, I've I've noticed you play in a lot of styles of music, uh, adjunct to jazz, and uh, and of course, jazz also comes in a lot of different uh, flavors. Not only in terms of contemporary styles, but historical styles that still coexist and and uh, are still quite quite viable. And and uh, so, I I kind of have two two questions here. One is. Focusing on jazz as a musical style, what is your opinion or view of the essence of jazz across all of its various flavors? And then the second question that's sort of concomitant with that is then, how is jazz different from other styles of music that you play? Okay, so, I mean... If, you, if you're talking about all styles of jazz or, you know, anything that people are considering living in the jazz world, of course, there's improvisation. Um, that's, to me, that's the main thing is improvisation because you have, you know, you have stuff that's like straight ahead swing all the way to, you know, free open playing that where there's, there's a pulse, but not necessarily a tempo or a, you know, a rhythmic groove happening. Um, so it, it's funny, I mean, as with anything, like over the years, things are going to expand and change. And, you know, since the beginning of jazz, obviously there are all kinds of new, um, styles that have morphed out of other styles. Um, so it's, these days it's really hard to say, you know, 
what is jazz. You know, when you're talking about current improvisational music, you can go back in the past and definitely, you know, put a, um, a definition on some of the music and say, yeah, that was jazz. That was, you know, the, the, the classic stuff, the swing. Um, but as it started kind of um, integrating more with like rock grooves and um, classical music and world music, you know, th then everything just branched off like this, just as it would. Mm -hmm. So, you know, to me, I can consider something jazz if there's, if there's like a, a improvisation on a little more sophisticated level with, with harmony. Mm -hmm. um, if you're talking about improv improvising on maybe like on triads for three different chords, I, I don't know. It's, that's a tricky one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I it's, it's really a, it's almost an intangible, it's like a feeling. It's like a vibe and, and a, a, what am I, what's the word I'm trying to think of? Um, anyway, yeah, it, it's, it's, wow. Well, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe Louis Armstrong had it, had it right in the beginning when he was asked, what is jazz? And his response was, if you have to ask, you'll never know. I guess that's true. You know, because, yeah. uh, you know, I think I sometimes say that to, uh, uh, students of mine that ask and I say well you know there's the French have a wonderful term that doesn't really have a have a good uh English translation je ne sais quoi uh and uh you know it's you know it's there but you can't necessarily really describe it um and uh it seems like it's a it's a feeling it's a mindset it's an attitude it's uh you know that uh you know that seems to be a a, a bit uh different i guess uh i don't know i i uh, a class i used to teach many many years ago was called uh, jazz and film and it was a, a, a co uh curricular kind of not co-curricular uh cross disciplinary there we go class that i taught with a colleague of mine in the film department and, uh, you know, we really tried to bring to our students kind of the essence of, of uh, jazz and the jazz lifestyle through some of the films that, that we asked them to watch and to study. And, uh, you know, I still think that maybe one of the best movies like that is, uh, is um, the one with Dexter Gordon, uh, that uh, Round Midnight, which I thought was an excellent film. And uh, it kind of... I don't know. It always kind of gave me a feeling of what jazz was and what it or what it is and what it's all about. But maybe it's one of those things that we really shouldn't worry about describing. Maybe musical styles and their labels are are really uh, nothing more than just uh, ways to describe things that don't need to be described. Right. It's just a way to put something in a box. Yeah. But it's really, to me, it's just like, if there's a level of improvisation, um, you know, you could push, you could put that in the big jazz category. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and improvised music is a, I think that's a, um, something that's in the jazz world. And, mm -hmm. and it's, it's, um, you know, improvised music is, is a, I think it's what this kind of music is called, but it's really a lot of, you know, horn players, jazz players, saxophone, whatever, everybody. Okay, let's, <laughs> let's go back. Um, mm -hmm. You know, improvised music is, is what to me is jazz. Sure. As long as that's sure. improvisation. Yeah, I, I think, I think when we go back to its roots, and then the whole idea that musicians back around the turn of the 20th century were were in a position where they they had to uh, produce a lot of music, and they they kind of extended things by finding ways to embellish and to to then uh, you know improvise over something that they were already doing or fill in the holes you know so to speak and mm -hmm. and uh, I think that is one of the things that's sort of uh, endemic to uh, 
to jazz, uh, you know, but uh, uh, anyway, well, okay, I've got another question then uh, that the idea of then how is, how do you think jazz differs from other styles of music you play? Is it still improvisation? I do there is a level of like comping and sonic choices that are are sort of an improvised mm -hmm. thing um but of course it's in the style of the songs that I'm playing so you know I'm mm -hmm. specifically with maybe with St. Vincent um she put a record out that has like a very 70s kind of grooviness to it and so I'm playing a lot of Wurlitzer and it, you know, my jazz kind of informs the choices I make on that, mm -hmm. but I can't, I can't really put that in the jazz realm. That okay. Okay. Um, but then like, I guess, wow, I guess like, and, and sonically I'm able to um, make choices for, you know, pads and beds that go underneath. Mm-hmm in these songs and so that's like a level of that kind of improvisation but mm -hmm. it does not feel like a jazz gig <laughs> okay sure yeah. sure well i yeah i i mean i kind of like you know i i kind of like to think of it this way you know i think sometimes you know uh, as musicians we like to have um a real big toolbox of different tools that we can use and, and we can, you know, we have to pick and choose which ones are appropriate depending on what kind of job we're doing. Uh, I know living in Wisconsin, um, I often get called to play polka gigs. I'm sure not going to be going in there playing in the same style, you know, uh, that I'm playing a bebop tune when I'm playing, uh, you know, student pickled. I mean, you know, it's just, just one of those kind of things that, you know, you're not going to do, you're going to shift gears. And, and uh, I think one of the things that you, you know, intimated earlier uh, that uh, the idea that, you know, how music has grown and changed, I think a lot of that too is because musicians have, have grown and we've, we have more and more musicians who are coming out of uh, an educated background uh, you know, we have jazz in the academy and 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 yet we're also exposed to lots of different kinds of music and uh, and the demands of the contemporary musician today, whether you're hitting from the jazz side of the plate or the classical side, there's just so much, you know, crossover, uh, even even in the pop world. Uh, I, I can't remember who was telling me about this was uh, Adele's newest album has a lot of kind of jazz like harmonies in it. And, and uh, you know, and it, certainly we always still go back to like uh, in the uh, Steely Dan and all the jazz musicians they used to use on their sessions, you know, uh, although we wouldn't call Steely Dan a jazz group. Uh, but, uh, you know, nonetheless, those those kinds of tools are in those musicians toolbox and they choose to use them when whenever they they want to well getting back and focusing on on jazz specifically you know jazz is is not central to american popular music today yet it still exists it still thrives and it still lives why from your perspective why and how has jazz been able to sustain itself over the past century uh, plus. And the second half of my question is, what is then the major challenge of being a jazz artist in the 21st century? Well, I think there's always gonna be a, um, a, a, let's see, a group of musicians. There's always gonna be a group of musicians that just want to experiment. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, if you if you think about pop music and rock music, you know, that's one specific kind of craft. Mm -hmm. And not everybody is just it, not everybody is going to want to do that. So if you're a musician and you just want to make up your own thing, I mean, we're always going to be there. We're always going to mm -hmm. be out there. And I think 
you know, jazz is it's such a strong um, style of music. I guess you can call it a style, or a, it's such a strong genre um, that it's always going to be living somewhere within popular music. Um, also, wow, <laughs> it's like it's like musicians, creative musicians will also be doing these rock gigs and pop gigs. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe, you know, there needs to be an outlet. Wow, I'm getting off track. Hold on. Are you editing this? I can. Going straight through but you, you seem to be doing okay. <laughs> I mean, like I, I said, it's I okay. It's, going off on tangent. Well, that's all right. I mean, it's it's a, it, you know, it, it's a, Rachel, it's a conversation. It's like, you know, it's not like I you know, wanting you to give us just a, uh, you know, this isn't meet the press. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's, I'm like at a loss for words. So, well, let me see if I can maybe prime the pump a little bit. Okay. Okay. Not that I want to put words in your mouth, but I, if you, if you kind of agree or see it this way, I've heard that, heard it said that, you know, musicians of all stripes will refer to jazz as a musician's music. That's yeah, that's kind of where I was getting. <laughs> well, I kind of sense that. You know, I kind of had this for a moment. I was thinking, I think this is where she's going. And I've, you know, and I've also heard from others in New York that I've talked to that that speak to the idea that you know, there is a musician's community of sorts. People go to each other's gigs, people, you know, there's jam sessions. There's like you say, musicians, we get bored easy. We we have to continue to be creative and create, try new things and, and, and do this. Uh, and then, and then, uh, you know, depending on the style that we're playing in, sometimes we're told we can't, you know, that we have to do it a certain way, which, which is fine, you know, to fulfill that, that particular obligation, but left solely to our own devices. I mean, it seems like we want to just, you know, let's see what happens with, uh, uh, you know, if I try this or try that, or let's explore, let's, let's, uh, you know, that, that sort of thing. And that uh, this survival or, you know, the sustaining of, of uh, the music is that there are other like-minded people out there, both other musicians and listeners. Correct. I think, I think traditions are always going to want to be expanding their ideas and trying new things and, and kind of being like that, you know, behind the scenes underground group of people that's, actually pushing all music forward by doing those things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I think, uh, I think, I think that, you know, that we're always going to be there mm-hmm. trying to push, push it all forward. So. Well, I can remember when I taught jazz history at the university and I would be teaching about uh, Thelonious Monk and I'd show the class a video of him performing. And I, I, you know, I, I would say to them, I say, when you watch him, he does some things that are really kind of off the wall as though he's thinking, of course, I don't know what he was thinking. I'm, you know, but almost as though he is thinking, let's see what kind of reaction I get when I do this, you know, or that, that sort of thing. And I, and then, you know, when I would talk to, uh, you know, cause students who are, especially the ones I had who were, most of them were, were musically illiterate. I mean, they listened to music, but they didn't really know, understand. And they used to ask me things, well, when you're listening to a jazz musician improvising, you know, how do you know if it's any good or how do you, you know, what's, and I'd say, well, you know, a good improvised solo is like, is like hearing a really good joke. You know, first of all, there's the setup. And, and what is a setup and a joke, but you're hit with a, with a lot of things that are familiar. Okay. So when we take like music, for example, you know, we've got, uh, maybe we've got the pre-written melody, we've got some chord changes and, and that's familiar. And then the part that creates that hedonically negative response, what makes us laugh is those, are those things that are disjunct or that are a, uh, go tangential to what our expectation is. 
And, and when you hear that, you go, oh man, isn't that a cool idea? Isn't that a great way to, to express that line? And of course, in, when we're talking instrumentally, it's all in many ways an abstraction. You know, the idea of, yeah, but isn't that cool the way that that person thought how to, how to, uh, you know, come up with a, a consequent uh, idea to an antecedent idea and, and fit that together. And uh, so I, I, I kind of think that's where I feel you were going with, with talking about, about the music and, and the people being interested in that kind of creativity. If I'm off base, certainly don't, don't hesitate no, to say so and, and amplify as much as you choose. Yeah, sorry. It goes for the listener as well. Um, same thing, like even if you're not a musician, but you're one of those um, listening people that you want to hear new things. And, and I'm actually quite impressed when I go, when I do performances, especially, um, you know, some of these pop things or rock things that I do, when the listeners come up and they sort of they talk like they are jazz listeners like oh, mm -hmm. i really liked it when you played that weird chord over the thing it was so good to hear this kind of stuff on you know this music so the, you know the listeners are there too mm -hmm. yeah yeah well and and you know and certainly we 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 have that 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 body that is uh, supportive of us it's uh uh, and it, it, you know, and it's nice when you're playing a club date or you know something that's more intimate, say, than playing in a, a theater or, or a stadium, because you can have a little more of that that personal interaction. You can see that person respond maybe to something that you do musically, and and uh, it's uh, always kind of a gas. At least it is, uh, you know, from my perspective. Yeah. But uh, well, let's get back to let's focus for a moment on your creativity you have a recording that you released this past april entitled one and uh, one is a, a solo album just you and i would like it if you would talk about this new album and then also kind of reflect on how the experience of recording an album of only yourself has differed from projects where you've involved other musicians. <laughs> okay. Um, so one is just a solo piano record. So just piano. Um, I, do, I don't even, I do not have a recording where I'm just playing piano, even with a trio yet. Mm. That come, that's coming later this year. But um, I, my interests, and the timing of when I could make records decided in a way that most of my stuff is electronic or like singer songwriter. So there's all kinds of keyboards and all kinds of sounds. And being that I started piano when I was six and I have a master's degree in jazz piano and I was always just piano, piano, piano. Um, I kind of wanted to have something to show for that. Okay. So, so um, my friends happened to have a studio in Brooklyn called Big Orange Sheet, where I recorded it. And I went one day um, just with a couple of tunes in mind, a couple of things I wrote and some stuff. And then, you know, I had three or four hours to just sit there and make a record happen. So I decided to just improvise a bunch of things. And I probably improvised like 15 to 20 short pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, anything from like one minute to four or five minutes. And not, it, it didn't all make it onto the record. It was sort of, um, it was really cool to go in the studio and, and not have a plan. Okay. <laughs> Which, what, you know, most people would say, oh, bad guys, you're gonna be wasting money. But I knew how much time I had. And, um, and I also trusted my skills in, in just sitting down and creating. So, um, that's that's basically what that what that is. So it's a self-produced, self-released record. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say. So, did you find that uh, the solitude of you know just being you there in the studio did that uh, enhance your creative thinking? 
because you weren't uh, weren't uh, you know bombarded with uh, a lot of other external stimulus or or you know just just how do you feel like that that whole environment worked for you or with you? That's an interesting question. Um, I it was actually more scary than not because I had to sit there with myself and make it happen with no other information coming at me, no ideas from anyone else. So, you know, and the mistakes were much more clear <laughs> when it's just one person doing it. So, you know, there were a lot of start and stops, of course. Mm -hmm. I would start playing something and be like, ah, I don't like it, and then just come up with something completely different. Mm -hmm. um, so, but, but, it's a different um, technique to get into the zone. Um, All right, I'm curious to know about this. By myself. Okay. I think I think it's more of a game when you're just sitting there by yourself. I had to relax and sort of feel the room and the sound of the room and get used to the piano and not feel like anyone was watching me. Mm -hmm. And that was that was the way to be successful, like with a with a take. But with a group, it's like you want you want the feedback from your people mm -hmm. are with you. you. Want you want musical feedback? You talk about it, and you know, in a way, you're playing to make the artist happy or make your musicians happy. Um, because you're all you're all doing that together, you know. Mm -hmm. You want to make each other feel you're recording, because um, then you know the music's gonna feel good. So no, nobody to bounce off of when I was there. I just had to bounce off of myself. <laughs> okay. Well, and that and that solitude. I yes, I, I I would say I'll bet that was kind of scary because you were really now, now that you're describing the 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 session to me, you were working without a net. I mean, to go in without, you know, uh, having every, because you, you know, my experience, you, you know, we know studio time's expensive. So the typical thing is you've got everything already worked out ahead of time before you step in front of the, the mic, because, you know, you don't want to be, you know, but here you were all by yourself, just, uh, and kind of uh, making it up as you were going along, I guess, for lack of a better term, that uh, I would think, yeah, that was probably uh, scary in a bit from that, from that standpoint. Rachel, I'd like to dig down just a little bit about your actual uh, compositional process. When you think back to those sessions, when you were, you know, coming up with a tune on the spur of the moment, what usually comes first to you? A melodic idea? A rhythmic idea? A set of chord changes? Or maybe a made-up line of lyrics? Or a particular mood? Or uh, some sort of visual imagery? What kind of things played into your creativity yeah so for this particular record it was more about the mood and the a picture in my head or just like maybe it's not even an actual image but more of like a feeling of an image or something mm -hmm. like that mm -hmm. like oh let me do something kind of serene and like a lake you know mm -hmm. and then i would just start and whatever came down in my hands you know, sort of just like informed drops, you know, like, oh, I know, I know this is probably going to sound like a thing if I put my mm -hmm, hands down. Mm -hmm. And then just going from there. So, so whether or not it's like melodic or rhythmic or um, lyrical, it just really depends on what, what that first part was. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes I would start, maybe I would just come up with a tempo mm -hmm. um, and just sit there and be like, or sit down on the key and whatever that sound tells me to do, then I do that next. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Well, that's, that's, you know, I'm, I'm always uh, curious because, you know, about, about uh, creative people and their musical thinking, you know, uh, and, and I bring that up only because 
in my own experience, sometimes when I see uh, a particular object or a scene in my head, I hear, I hear uh, a, a musical phrase, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, I don't know, you know, some might say that's, that's synesthesia, but I don't think I have synesthesia. I think that I just, as a, as a musician, I think we do think in music. And uh, and we have certain moods that uh, that we associate. And I I like to think about that, turn that around when I would teach uh, when I was teaching music preach, and all the students I had in those classes were not music majors, didn't have or had either no or had very little musical background, and very very few had any classical background at all and that's where we'd focus but i would play a you know a completely instrumental piece and most kids are you know they're they're used to pop music which has lyrics and 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 they kind of know what the song is about based on the lyrics or what they think the lyrics are so the number one question they they would ask me is like a, well i don't get it what does it mean what what is it about and uh, so I'd, I'd play like a, a, you know, a Chopin prelude or something. And I'd, I'd say, all right, now listen to this. And then I want you to envision what picture comes into your head based on what you hear. But what I want you to also think about is what kind of day was the composer having when they wrote this, you know, kind of the reverse of what we do in that, in that, you know, the creative side of things. So it's, you know, that's, uh, uh, you know, well, I'm always interested to to, uh, to get the idea of what people, uh, how people think musically. And uh, so that it sounds like you're now I'll go back and listen to one with a very different set of ears, knowing that you were, you know, kind of creating that on the spur of the moment. That'll be that'll be a yeah. lot of fun. It'll be um, a lot of fun. There, there are a couple there are a couple tunes in there that are already, but. But I, I will say, going into that, one thing I wanted to do was kind of these in the improvisations, mm -hmm. rather than like super noty and jelly. They're a little more melodic and lyrical than, than like, they they don't necessarily sound like playing ahead and to it. Sure. So sure. They're definitely like not preconceived or anything like Although sometimes you could hear a pattern or two. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's wonderful. Well, are you uh, are you currently now? You mentioned uh, about uh, potential of a trio album coming up. Are you writing new music for that album? Well, actually, I have a, a album coming out that was a live. Show. Oh, okay. One that's yeah. coming out. You yeah. you've already recorded it. It's in the can. Yeah. Okay. And it's called Humanoid on the Sam First record label. And, and we did nights at a club called Sam First in LA. And uh, it's it's basically my return to jazz. <laughs> Although I'll deviate, but but it's it's a jazz record. Okay. I'm excited about it. Oh, very cool. And uh, can you tell us the release date? August 25th, digital part of it. Okay. And then uh, I think October, the vinyl show. Okay. Well, listeners will be uh, on the watch for that. And is that coming out under your name or under a name of a group? It's under my name. Yeah. Under name. Okay. So look for Rachel yeah. Eckroth's live album. That should be fun. I, I love live albums. Yeah. I, I mean, that's my first one. I'm really excited for it. Oh, good. It was, a, it was a good a couple of nights. Oh, good. Good. Happy to hear that. Um, you know, uh, you, you kind of hit on this a bit when you were talking about your, you know, creation of particular uh, tunes. And I don't know if, the, you know, uh, when you compose, even when you're composing uh, extemporaneously, uh, as you were doing for your album, if you think uh, consciously about the various uh, elements of music that you might utilize as a music artist, or if you just, you know, kind of uh, 
practice your craft intuitively. But could you talk a bit about different the different elements of music that you might use to create different colors and different forms of musical expression? Yeah, yeah. Let's or, let's keep it focused on on uh, on your album for a moment. Yeah, what you okay. were doing there. Um, so, I mean, d different techniques to create different music is what you what you're asking. Sure, the various elements of music, whether it's you know, are are different timbres that you can create on a piano, or uh, might be chord voicings. It might be. Uh, uh, octave displacement you know what are different kinds of things that you might sure. use that when we hear a recording we could say that's rachel eckroth oh wow okay um well i think a lot of my keyboard playing since formed my piano and the things i choose to piano um might be like interpretations of things you can do on a keyboard sometimes uh and so with that also as a pianist we you know, the goal is to play the piano like it's an orchestra and use the entire piano in ways and not just stick to the middle, you know, where a lot of uh, young players play in the middle when they're doing jazz stuff. Um, but like for with, with keyboards, I use a lot of pedals, effects pedals, like delays and, and um, I don't know, things that will move the pitch around a bit and move and rhythm options. So a lot of times uh, when I'm improvising, I might act like right hand is doing a delay or something like that, just to okay. give, a, just to ha make a bed of sound underneath the list or something like that. Um, okay. So rather than a rhythmic comping thing, I might go like this with my fingers and use the pedal and just make a bed of sound underneath. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... What else? Um, I tend to do a lot of like when I'm when I'm make, doing my own solos on piano. Um, I do a lot. I do rhythmic rhythmic lines, mm -hmm. and I might accentuate and um, articulate a little bit more um, more rhythmic than a typical piano player that's just playing mm -hmm. eighth notes, eighth notes. Um, I tend to chop it up a bit more, I think. Okay. Um, and then, what else? Um, maybe harmonically, I like to think in shapes. Okay. So I'm not always, I'm not really thinking about two, five, one, and substitution, stuff like that. I'm more thinking about the sonic, the way it feels sonically. And maybe it's moving around more in, in half steps more than anything else, but... Um, if I'm comping, you might hear me outside the key a, a bit. Okay. Which is just maybe shifting in half steps and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I, I just, I tend to think in, like, if like if I come up with a shape in my fingers, I might just sound a bit and play on that. Um, that let's say that shape mm -hmm. the shape around and like start there or something like that so these are the things i think about but also like i'm kind of at a place where i don't think about it that much yeah sure I just do so yeah so yeah it's kind of hard to explain i need to i need to put that into a, a compartment well you might say it's it's in your uh your toolbox and intuitively you reach in and bring that out but that's interesting, the idea of, uh, of harmonic uh, shapes that you kind of transmit over, over half steps uh, rather than necessarily, like you say, a, a typical 2-5-1 progression, which is very common in jazz. There's a wonderful video on YouTube. I wish I could remember it. I could look it up. But where the, the creator of the video takes a, a Lizzo song. And it shows how uh, kind of a, I guess you'd call it an evolution of how jazz musicians will take that t typical pop melody and, you know, juice it up, uh, you know, first addition of sevenths and then ninths and then you know, more complex harmonies and then even to where 
the harmonic uh, structures are not even necessarily closely related to anything in the original, yet it still sounds very hip, you know, I mean, in terms of things that are being created. And I, I think there's uh, uh, a lot of uh, thinking that, you know, we, we can kind of morph around with in terms of, of music and relationships between melodic structures, harmonic structures, and, and, and what we, we create. I, I remember one time in an interview that Miles Davis was doing, and he talked about, you know, about Picasso paintings and how, you know, different shapes and different things that seem to be um, uh, interrelated, but not related. He says, so why can't we play a piece of music that's in three different keys at the same time? You know, and, and then and then getting into that uh, uh, interaction between those those key centers. And I, uh, you know, I think, too, when you talk about your approach to the, the uh, keys and, and uh, the uh, uh, level of articulation you might use, you know, I, I like to remind people when I teach music that the piano is not only a keyboard instrument, it's also a percussion instrument you know, and can be played that way. So I think that that's, that's, uh, yeah, really kind of neat. I'm going to listen, I'm going to listen to you again, your recordings again now and now that I'm informed because uh, this is really pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, that, just on that note, um, I did see a pianist that basically bang on the piano and yeah. give you rhythmic information. It's the pianist stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I think if you if you provide some rhythmic excitement as well, it's it's just makes you, um, you know, gives you a wide wider palette to choose from. Sure, sure. No, I I agree. I think, uh, you know, it's it's been great as we've kind of seen uh, with the evolution of the music that those instruments that uh, have typically been relegated to the rhythm section, and you know, playing particular roles have we've really expanded those particular roles in terms of uh harmonic and melodic com uh context i know i've i've asked uh, a lot of uh other uh you know musicians drummers in terms of you know a melodic approach to drumming as opposed to just playing ding ding da ding ding da ding all the time you know and and uh, i love what uh, many of them are telling me in terms of their concept of how they think about the drum set and bass players and pianists and you know because uh it, it it's it, it's uh so much that uh you know i and i admit this as a horn player that we we you know we, we it's like we, we always want the spotlight i play a horn so i want to be up front and my rhythm sections in back and you know and it, it you know so we ought to give more due to the all instruments regardless but yeah, there and i think i think it, with any instrument um you know the way i teach and approach is that anything is fair game anything mm -hmm. can be you know anything can be musical anything can be music you can choose any note and make it work yep it's you know it's all dependent on phrasing and where you come from where you where you're going yeah <laughs> I used to teach my beginning improvisers. I would say there's no such thing as a wrong note. It's how you resolve it that <laughs> that will yeah. impress people. Or it's you know? how you, just how you play it. Even if it's, yeah. never, even if it's the wrong note, if you do it in a way that has conviction and purpose, then yeah my favorite line is when you play a mistake is when you play timidly but when you play with uh intention and authority it's an interpretation <laughs> so, okay well speaking of of you know you, you mentioned teaching what advice would you give someone who's aspiring toward a career in music well I mean, I'll give you kind of a general one, which is the more effort you put into it, the more you get out. Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean, that's obviously with anything in life. But if you focus and if you can find 
find your goal and what's your goal and keep your eyes on the prize, basically, you know, then you will get that. Mm -hmm. So whether or not that's like getting cool or working hard or being great at your instrument or winning an award or all these things, basically, if you can put your energy into that thing, you will get it, something out of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, that's what I used to advise my students. They'd want to come in and be music majors. And I'd say, well, look, here's the thing. You don't need to sell your soul, but you cannot be a dilettante either. You know, if you're looking to become a player, you've got you've got to really work at it and you've got to have tenacity and and, uh, you know, and despite, uh, you know, uh, you know, how tough you are isn't how hard you can hit. It's how hard you can get hit and still get up. Absolutely. And you got to be and you got to be tough because the music business is tough. It's tough. I've been in it for 30 years at least. And. And it's been ups and downs and it's, you know, well, I want to say it's always like, you know, fighting, it's always, but a lot of times it's smooth sailing, mm -hmm. but also um, something in me, there's something deep in me that won't let me quit. I know what you mean. That I always want to do music no matter what. So yep. I think since that's, I'm always finding the way to do it. I I will tell you that I'm right there with you. I mean, I retired in 2017 from full-time teaching at the university, but I am playing more than I ever have because I can't quit. I just can't. I can't, you know, and my wife and I have talked about it. Well, you know, maybe we should sell our instruments and maybe we should, you know, focus on, you know, and I said, listen, and I said, no, I says, I want to keep playing until I can't. Because that day is going to come, but I I just love music and I just can't stop doing it and and uh, so I guess I will continue to do it and it sounds like you're the same way it's you know it, yeah I mean I, if you I, lost your chops do you, do you play trumpet is that yes I do yeah so if you lost your chops tomorrow you would find another way to express music I'm sure like. Maybe you would play piano or something. You well, know. I tell you, I have to show I have to show you something. Not that I'm I'm paid by these people, but this is my this is my uh, my little go to. It's a oh, wow. it's a it's a MIDI controller, and uh, and and it works like a trumpet. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and yeah, and it's wow. yeah. Well, that's because it's it was invented and manufactured up in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. And, uh, and it's, it's, uh, I, the guy came out with it. I got mine about a year ago and it is, uh, it, it, it's, uh, breath controlled, but you don't have to use like a regular embouchure and, and then you control octaves. It's called the tilt because you change octaves by tilting to the right or the left wow. and it, it will play lower than the real the the regular trumpet and also higher and of course then i can also access all kinds of synths and get just a whole myriad of of, of sounds but i'm going to keep at it with the good old regular way for as long as i can maybe i'll be like you know doc severson and play until i'm 95 i don't know but uh yeah. but i that's what i tell i say you have to be careful with music you know it'll start out as a hobby and then it'll become an avid interest and then before you know it you're obsessed and then you feel like there's nothing else you want to do or you can do. So, yeah, you really have to kind of de uh, dedicate yourself to that. Um, okay, well, we talked about the new record coming out in August. Tell tell us about uh, where you're going to be playing in the next few weeks. All right, so I'm doing, let's see, I'm going to Switzerland uh, next week to teach a camp. Um, and then when I come back in on August 4th and 5th, I'll be in Portland. Oregon at the 1905 with Jonathan Pinson. Okay. Um, so he has a residency there every month and I'll be, I'll be the guest on those two nights. Uh -huh. And then August 30th, I will be in New York city at the Django. Oh, sure. Um, playing with Otis Brown and Leonie Mateo. And we're doing 
kind of a combination of music from one and music from humanoid. So I'm going to take some of those improvised pieces and I've got lead sheets made of a couple of them and we'll, we'll do them as trio pieces. Oh, wonderful. And then we'll do some of the humanoid stuff. And then there's a, there's a bit of touring in the fall in Europe and, and, uh, and uh-huh. Switzerland, I think, and, and France. Oh, how fun. How fun to get to Europe. And Switzerland will be beautiful, I'm sure, this time of year. Yeah, well, I'm, I'll be there. That'll be my third time this year out there. Oh, so my. I get to experience all the, the weather. Yeah, I'll bet that's just going to be beautiful. Well, super. Well, I uh, uh, and you're going, man, from one coast to the other, Portland, Oregon, back to New York. and Yeah. yeah. So you're getting around. That's really that's really great. Well, you know, Rachel, we've been talking for almost an hour and and uh, I, I, you know, I like to be as complete as possible. Is there anything else that you would like to add or tell my audience that I have not asked you about? I don't think so. I, um, well, I have a Patreon that I'm working on. Okay. Just uh, Rachel Eckroth. And um, it's it's kind of a mix of like small lessons, little performances and... Um, uh, there's also a link about just my thoughts on the music business. Okay. And so I'm working on that and um, just trying to, you know, self going and be a composer and uh, whatever. I'm just doing a lot of things. Sure, so. sure. Is that is that is that information on your website? Yes. Okay, because I have a there link to your be. website in my show notes. Yes. Patreon is called patreon.com backslash Rachel. Okay. Well, that sounds really, really ambitious and like a wonderful project. And uh, sounds like you've got, my goodness, new recording coming out. And I imagine you're probably playing on other people's recordings and and uh, tours and and sounds like things are really really going really swell for you so i uh, i want to thank you for taking time to talk with me today and uh, i want to wish you all the best with what i'm sure will be a continued successful musical future thank you and thanks for all the great questions you bet have a great rest of your day my discovery composer of the week is steve reich born in New York City in 1936. Reich was one of the first masters of the repetitive music that emerged in New York in the mid-1960s and was soon branded minimalism. He has consistently broadened and developed his musical world without compromising the streamlined efficiency and precision of his technique. Repetitive, Pulse-driven figures have remained a characteristic, but so have the slips and leaps of a lively mind. Following the divorce of his parents, Reich's childhood was divided between New York and California, involving him in long rail journeys, which he recalled much later in his composition, Different Trains. Boyhood piano lessons left little impression. His musical life took off when, at the age of 14, he began studying drumming with Roland Koloff. At Cornell University, from 1953 to 1957, his principal study was philosophy, but he also attended music courses. On returning to New York, he devoted himself to composition studies, first privately with Hall Overton, and then at the Juilliard School with William Bergsma, and Vincent Persichetti. From there, he went to Mills College, California, to study for a master's degree in composition with Luciano Berrio. He remained in San Francisco, where he made the simple discovery that led to his first acknowledged piece, It's Gonna Rain, from 1965, and provided the seed from which his music would grow that two machines playing identical loops of recorded speech would slowly move out of synchrony with each other. Performing with Terry Riley 
as well as listening to the recordings of John Coltrane and African drumming, quickened his interest in harmonic stasis and short repeating patterns. Following a definitive return to New York, he composed a tape piece, Come Out, in 1966, based entirely on phasing. From there, he could have gone in any number of directions, but Reich's immediate concerns were to test whether phasing could be done with instruments, to integrate himself into existing traditions of music making, and to create audible processes of gradual change. <clears throat> These concerns led him on to piano phase for pianos and violin phase for violins, both written in 1967 and both performed in the concerts he began giving in New York. Similar processes of phasing and pattern enhancement are involved in phase patterns for four electric organs from 1970, while in another work for the same combination, written earlier the same year and called simply Four Organs. <clears throat> also in 1970, he left to study drumming for five weeks at the University of Ghana in Accra. On his return to New York, he began drumming, written in 1970 and 1971 his first big public statement, both in its 90-minute duration and its, in its scoring for nine percussionists with two female voices and piccolo. For the exigencies of touring, Reich created a piece that could be rehearsed in a hotel room and used sounds he was increasingly hearing. Clapping music for two pairs of hands, 1972. <clears throat> but his main swerve was on the contrary towards larger and richer ensembles. Hitherto, Reich had not been eager to have his music played by other ensembles, though he did eventually publish his early ensemble pieces with Universal Edition in the mid-1970s. After Music for 18 Musicians, however, the opportunities of commissions became irresistible, and he acquired a new publisher in Boozy and Hawks. Reich's work with Ghanaian and Balinese musicians had caused him to think about what tradition he belonged to. And the result was a period of study in 1976-1977 of Hebrew, of the Torah, and of cantillation, for which he went to Israel to hear singers from different Eastern Sephardi communities. Next came his first small-scale piece since a decade before, Vermont Counterpoint for Flute and Tape, 1982, in which the richer textures of his subsequent music are adapted to solo instrumental performance. This was followed by his largest-scale work to date, the Desert Music, written 1982 to 1984. The darkening of Reich's music through the 1980s has many possible associations. His recovery of modes typical of Jewish song and worship and expressively with his awareness of some of the decade's principal problems. Expanding the speech music technique of different trains, Reich moved on to the Cave, from 1990 to 1993, for which he chose not to return to the orchestra, but to go back further to the sort of compact ensemble of percussion with voices and sustaining instruments. After The Cave, Reich went on to a similar project, Three Tales, 1997 to 2001. Reich also took the opportunities of commissions to work on more purely musical problems in smaller spaces. After Three Tales, Reich continued to resume strands of development going way back in his work. <clears throat> Reich also extended his harmonic range and mobility further in some works of this period and took his music into new instrumental layouts. The Piro 
derived sextet in double sextet of 2007, and a rock band formation in 2x5 from 2008, both adapting the principle of mirrored ensembles whose components may be replaced by recordings. The All Music Guide lists five recordings of what the guide refers to as avant-garde music, 27 recordings of his chamber music, four recordings of his choral works, three recordings of his concerti, nine recordings of his electronic slash computer music, two recordings of his film scores, eight recordings of his work for keyboard, one recording of his opera, three tales, three recordings of compositions for orchestra, one recording of his multimedia theater work, The Cave, and five recordings of his vocal music. In my show notes is a link to a YouTube video recording of Reich's Variations for Winds, Strings, and Keyboards, performed by the San Francisco Symphony, conducted by Edo Duvart. That wraps episode number 150. My show notes along with links to artist websites, recording label websites, YouTube videos of artists' performances are all posted on my Facebook page, The Musical Universe of Professor Hurst. Next week, I will be interviewing New York City-based trumpet player Brandon Choi. Other upcoming interviews include New York City-based trombonist Jacob Melsha, New York City-based trombonist, composer, arranger, and band leader Sam Blakesley, and New York City-based bassist Matt Cloacy. So don't touch that dial. If you have questions, comments, or a suggestion of an artist, composer, or musical style for me to consider, you may email me at h-u-r-s-t-c at u-w-m dot e-d-u. So until next time, this is Professor Craig W. Hurst and Carmel the Wonder Dog signing off from the musical universe of Professor Hurst. Have a great day.